I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Casey Jones, who is the Senior Manager of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Robert Half. Casey, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Casey, tell us a little bit about your career. Where did you get your start? Sure. So right out of college, ironically enough, I've ended up at a staffing company, but I was placed through a staffing company as a receptionist at a manufacturing company. And my undergraduate degree was in communications. I thought I'd be this wonderful marketing newbie in San Francisco. And it, I was a receptionist. It did not work out that way. So quickly, I developed a relationship with a plant manager who saw some potential in me and how I dealt with people as a receptionist. And he hired me to be his HR manager. And at the time, I think I was 25 and decided I did not want to work full time. So I quit that job and went and traveled in Europe for two and a half months. And um, they were very clear that they were not going to hire me back, but I took that chance and they ended up eating their words and hiring me back. And I worked as the HR manager for a few years. That same leader that I worked for became a very close mentor of mine. And he urged me to go back to school and get a graduate degree which I did at the time, the company paid for it. This was at Simpson wow. Strong Tie. That's amazing. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. So he kind of saw potential in me that at the time I did not see. And so I got a master's in human resource management and organization development from the University of San Francisco and stayed his HR manager and then had an opportunity during the fall of Enron to move hmm. into internal audit. It was a newly developed department that a colleague tapped me on the shoulder to help build out. And it was a very big change in my career, but I was able to see how an organization runs from top to bottom with all of the control environment being set up. It was a global role. So I got to travel internationally, which was great. And then I decided that internal audit and working with numbers and spreadsheets was not my passion. I liked people. So I went back still at Simpson Strong Tie. This was probably about 10 years into my career there. Went back into the training department and learning and development fundamentally thinking that if people have to spend a large part of their days and weeks at work, it should be fun and people should get something out of it. And so then um, worked in learning development for a couple of years, had a manager that did not really work well with and decided at that time that another company would be the better greener pasture. So that's when I moved to Banana, which I loved. Also had an interesting relationship with a couple of different leaders at that time. Was at Banana Republic for almost two years and then landed at Robert Half initially as a learning and development uh, manager, and then recently pivoting to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and got a promotion for that to become a senior manager. Wow. All right. I want to ask about your current role, but before I do, I want to say that I think you've got the magic because it feels like wherever you were, somebody was picking you out and said, she can be doing more. I'd like to give her another opportunity. So I have to believe it isn't just the magic. I think you were doing something to help these people see that potential in you. Is there any advice that you have to those of us who want to get ahead? And if, you know, if we're starting as a receptionist, what, what should we be doing that helps us get attention or get identified as someone who could move up? Um, I think having a curiosity about people has worked well for me. I think people are just incredibly interesting. And I have been an introvert my whole life. I've become more extroverted. Yes. I've become more (laughs) extroverted. It's a learned trait. It can be learned, but um, 
my go-to style has always been very introverted. So I like to watch people. And so it's just without judgment, like why would somebody do that? And so being open and curious about people has led people being curious about me. And I think that has opened up doors for people to understand where my interests lie and picking careers and roles that had me interacting with people, which was challenging, but I think that's really, I've been able to use it to my advantage to get me into new and different roles. And it's now gotten to the point that I think it's opening up doors for me. I love it. I love it. And then the other thing that I thought was really remarkable about your career journey is you trial and errored and you were very self-aware in saying, okay, this is for me. This is not for me. Right. And you were really true to yourself. And I think that takes a lot of courage. I think we can sometimes kind of say, well, it doesn't feel like it's for me, but I should try to make it work. And I love that you were like, no. So any advice on how we can all kind of employ that kind of courage? I think when I was younger, I like to do things a little different. I think that's a weird polarity that I've gotten comfortable with. I like security. I'm a Taurus, so we're grounded, but I also can get tired of things very quickly. So the mention of going to Europe was a challenge because I liked that I had a job. I had been a college basketball. I've always been athletic. So I've liked working hard and it's always paid off for me. But I also realized that I was not going to be 25 and be able to travel backpack by myself forever. So I've always kind of been aware that opportunities present themselves a couple of times. And if you don't walk through those doors, even when there's risk or it's scary, you may have regrets. And I don't have a lot of regrets for having not done a lot of stuff. I may have done things differently, but I've always felt like things work out. When one door closes, another one opens or things work out the way that they're supposed to. Even when there's a challenging lesson to be learned, if you use that to your advantage, there's not really any space for regret. There's just kind of space for learning. Yeah, I love that. And I actually once read a newspaper article and I have tried to find it forever. I've not been able to. But apparently there are people who are called regretologists. They are, you know, professional studiers of regret. And as you well know, we significantly more regret the things we didn't do than the things that we did. Always better to err on the side of adventure. So now you are working in DNI, diversity and inclusion. Can you tell us a little bit about that role? And for those of us who may be interested in a career in DNI, you know, what we can expect and how we can prepare? Sure. So the role is new. There's been, I think, an explosion of DEI roles over the last year just because of the need for them and the attention that diversity, equity, and inclusion has gotten, particularly in the workplace, generally speaking, but especially in the workplace most recently. And so my role is focused on four priorities right now. So at Robert Half, we're still very early in our journey, and we have very successfully propped up, we call them employee network groups. They're also known as business resource groups, employee resource groups. And I am a leader in the Black Employee Network, and very proud to say that Ben was the very first one out of the gate a year ago. We're just 
this week celebrating our quote unquote beneversary. Everything is <laughs> benefied. We have bentering, not mentoring. So we try to <laughs> make it um, surprise and delight with something that I picked up from Banana Republic yeah. that has stayed with me. So propping up our employee resource groups where there were one a year ago, now there are five. So it's ramped up very, very quickly. And where we had no budget a month ago, each ENG got a $50,000 budget from the CEO based on a conversation that we had with him so that he could learn more personally what we were going after and what the opportunity was for each individual ENG and for the company as a whole as we move further into this space. So the development of the ENGs is my first priority. The second one is an educational campaign. So we started with unconscious bias training last year. It was rolled out globally. So that's really just dipping a pinky toe into this kind of pool of understanding and learning. And so what is the campaign for education? What do we build versus what do we buy? Where do we curate content internally? What do we buy off of the shelf from a vendor and localize to Robert Half? So what does that look like? How do we onboard leaders? How do we onboard new hires? How do we have a sustainment plan to keep that fresh and relevant? So that's another one. And then the third one is around our Heritage Month campaign and Affinity Days. We now have a more robust campaign in mind versus just a memo from the CEO saying that we're celebrating a day. Now with our employee networking groups, we have more opportunities, events, panels, uh, fundraisers. So our communications and our events are much more robust. So what does that look like? And then are we celebrating the right days around the globe versus just right. something that's oriented to the U.S.? And then also, then then the last one is around data. So what is the representation in the professional staff? What's representation in leadership? So where can we get better? What's the opportunity look like? And then also where we see leaders really engaged in the employee networking group space that are either advocates or allies for this work? Are we seeing engagement and the employee experience different? What's the science behind that, quote, you know, diverse teams perform better? Do we see that actually happening, Robert Half? So in summary, those are the four things that I'm focused on in this new role. Sounds really big and exciting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you worked for a long time, kind of going back to your your background, you worked for a long time at a manufacturing company. And so yes. how did you feel like gender and race played a role in that kind of chapter of your career? That's actually a very interesting point because, you know, there were mostly men. It was a blue collar. It was union. There were a few women, welders, machine operators that probably saw their fair share of, you know, the classic locker room talk, I would imagine. But at the same time, the mentor and the leader that I worked for had the most diverse team I've ever worked on. And I was really young at the time, so I didn't appreciate it. So we all had very different perspectives based on the functions that we supported. And we were all oriented differently just based on our backgrounds and gender. And we often frustrated each other because we were like, why do we have to do this all the time? My nickname was Speedbump because he was like, Casey's always like making us go slower. <laughs> so it was an environment like that. Everybody had a nickname. You had to be a little bit thick skinned, but we made some fabulous things happen. There were never any grievances. We had a strong working relationship. A couple of those guys were godfathers to my children. Wow. Um, a couple of them went to my wedding. So really strong relationships in an environment like that. It really helped me develop some of my chops that I leverage today. And watching you talk about it, it looks like you also kind of had fun. You oh, had absolutely. Fun I've had fun everywhere I've been. But <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is it was really gritty. You could 
I mean, our picnics were on crates. They were legendary times. We were up against the train tracks. The circus would come into town every year and park behind us. So, you know, it was just stories like that, that everybody has from their workplace. But when you work in a manufacturing company like that at that time, and I was young, so I didn't have a lot of experience to pull from, but there were some really, really good people that I worked around that taught me a lot about life and about work and, um, I don't think that blue collar work necessarily I felt has always gotten the respect that it deserves. Love that. So one of the things that our audience asks us about a lot is how to develop relationships with mentors and sponsors. Sounds like you did this informally a lot during your career. Any learnings from your experience trying to build these relationships? I would say to welcome them when they come your way. Oftentimes, if you're listening closely, people in different spaces of an organization will recognize that maybe you need some help. Maybe you've struggled on a deliverable. Maybe you're newly put on a team. Maybe you're a new hire in the organization. Maybe you don't look like other people on the team. And they will either dangle a carrot or make a remark. Um, Again, if you're curious with people and you listen well, that's where introversion can actually work to your benefit. Mm. Um, Then having the courage to follow up and say, hey, I don't know if you're just asking the question. I don't know if you'd be interested, but I'm trying to figure something out. I'm trying to learn something about myself. Um, I notice you really shine in this thing that I feel like I could use a little bit of polish. Would you be interested in having a couple conversations with me? I don't know that I've ever come out of the gate asking someone to be my mentor, but I think it's always been, can I talk to you about a comment that you've said or something that's just been on my radar that I think maybe people that don't recognize the ask are people that aren't ready to mentor you or don't want to be mentors. So respect that. But those that are open to it will often jump at the chance to share a strength that comes easily to them that someone else is trying to develop. And I find that most people, if you're clear about your values and what you represent and what you're looking for in others, and they can provide it to you, most people are flattered. And most people I think are good and will help in whatever ways they can, particularly if someone's asking for it. And then also being clear about what you want to be mentored on. I think that makes it easy for somebody to slot in and provide the support. I think you've hit on a pretty unique point that I think is important because I see so many people and especially women be afraid to ask. And when you ask somebody, it's a compliment. You're flattering them. And so I think that may help reframe it for some of our listeners. And don't make it a big ask. Just again, be light about it. Hey, can we have a 10 minute conversation? Because something that you said, I'm curious about the word curiosity, I think will open up a lot of doors. I'm curious about something, even if it's a difficult conversation, I'm curious about something is pretty neutral. And in my experience, people have responded to it very well. One of the things I'm trying to work on personally is changing my relationship to mistakes. Do you say you're a Taurus? I am a Taurus. Yes. I'm a Virgo, which means that mistakes make me want to like hide under the bed. But instead, I'm trying to understand and appreciate that we all make mistakes. They're just part of the journey. So can you tell us about a mistake you've made and how you learned from it? Yeah, sure. So one of the biggest mistakes that I would say I've made professionally is one of the last projects that I 
initiated at Simpson Strong Tie, I was doing something new. It was basically doing an organizational needs assessment because at the time I felt like I wanted to get really clear about what training opportunities we wanted to go after when there were 72 things we could do, what were the five to 10 things we wanted to do really well and be really strategic about. I had never done anything like that before. And my leader was fairly new in the organization and she had never done anything like that before. When I pitched it to her, she was on board. I felt she was on board and had full confidence in me. Over the course of about six months, I really lost my footing and lost my clarity of what we were going after. There were a lot of opinions about how we should do it. The mentor that I had had at the time had died. Mm -hmm. And so I was really kind of lost myself. And that was a failure. And I felt like a failure. And my leader started distancing herself from me, which made me feel like even more of a failure. And that was pretty much the start of my exit to that organization. So it caused me to lose a lot of confidence in myself. It strained some of the relationships that I had valued. And it really caused me to go into a pretty big tailspin around who I was professionally and how did I show up as a professional personally. So that was grueling at the time. And then? And then um, I decided to basically cut my losses because I had been at that place for a long time. I got a reasonable exit package that I could live with. I decided to take six months off and be good to myself. Again, not having financial security made me a little uneasy, but I needed to heal from that. And I made the analogy of almost like it was a divorce, essentially. Mm -hmm. It felt like I was divorcing. So Especially I, you had had a long career there. And my identity was tied to there. I, yeah. That was my first job out of college with a lot of you know professional learnings and relationships, personal and professional, that I relied on and that validated me for years. And so I took a break. I'm an avid tennis player. I played a lot of tennis. I uh, volunteered in my kid's school for the first time. I had two children. At the time, they were in elementary school, so I volunteered and um, really kind of gave myself the grace of some time and some space. And then I got hired at Banana Republic, which I had been a fan of the brand for years. So it felt almost like, oh, my gosh, like if I got divorced, I just like started dating the guy, like had my eye on a high school. Who knew this was going to happen? Yeah. And then had another series of really good relationships and exposure to a different operating like Gap Inc. and Banana Republic and the brands that sit under Gap Inc. is a pretty interesting place to play. Another place where I kind of had to learn who I was and what I wanted to stand for personally and professionally, which I think has been um, a strength going into my role at Robert Half. So what a mistake-a-phobe like myself learns from your story is, like, let's say the worst happened, right? You failed. You, you were out of a job. And then what happened? The next thing that happened was you got your job at the place you always wanted to work. Absolutely. It's all okay. It's going to be okay, even when it feels so scary. I've learned to live with the, the line, the only way to get across is through or something yeah. like that, is that life will throw some sort of curveball at you at some point in your professional career. Yeah. And it can be devastating. Those things can happen, but it doesn't have to be. There are a lot of good people out there that, and particularly good women, that will help you find that strength. I had a coach who helped me remember who I was as an athlete, who I was on that winning team at Simpson, what that felt like. And that that wasn't a flash in the pan. That was part of who I was. And it was just needed to give myself time and space to find it again. Great. And I did. 
Yes. Yes, you did. Right. That's the key. So you've alluded a couple times to your family, your kids. Uh, and one of the other things we always hear from our audience is we want to know, how did you make it work? How did you build this successful career and raise kids at the same time? Share a secret with us. Oh, that that is a big question to answer. <laughs> so I have try to focus on my kids when I'm with them and focus on my work when I'm working. So try to compartmentalize, which is not always easy. And um, I always thought that as my kids got older, it would get a little bit easier, but it's just changed. The difficulty has changed. This last year has been probably one of most difficult. And I don't think that's unique. My kids go back to school tomorrow. And if I could dance right now, I would. But to answer your question, as my kids have gotten older, um, it's interesting. So the other thing that I've tracked myself mentioning is my values. And I've gotten really clear about what those are because they're the things that for me, unequivocally, I want my kids to either remember me by or rules that they live by. So that's also clarified the battles I, I pick with them. I, you know, Every parent picks their battles. But if it comes down to being error on the side of kindness if it comes down to being balanced, so you can be on your screen all day, but you have to go outside and play, or you have to go outside and do something off screen. It's basically what are the five values that I have and how do they come to life through my kids? So they also can know which battles I'm going to pick and which ones I'm going to let go. And then also as they've gotten older, being okay with explaining when I make mistakes. So if I yell too much, or if I pick the wrong battle, I guess it kind of goes back to our other theme that's coming through is making mistakes is being willing to say, I'm stressed or I'm working, or I just recently also got divorced. So I'm now a single parent. This happened through COVID. Letting them know that as they get older, they're right now 15 and 13. I have a 15 year old son and a 13 year old girl. Um, that life is what you make it. And they're getting to the point where their decisions are becoming bigger. It's about their transcripts. Do they want to go to college? Are they going to play on a sports team? And having conversations with them. They're now at the point where I can converse with them and, and try to play on their judgment and trust them more and not be so directive and dictatorial. And that's been a hard change, but I think they're responding to it. And then just giving myself some grace. When I get frustrated, go take the dog for a walk, realizing I don't always have to have the last word. They don't need to learn that from me. And if they're going to have the last word, that's going to be challenging. Sometimes I'm easygoing. So let's just let it lie. And also realizing that they're not easygoing. So they're not cut from my cloth in many ways. So I have to accommodate them in their styles. So um, we're all learning in my house right now. We're at a, an interesting phase, but just being good to myself that I, I'm the mom, but I don't always have to have it figured out. And I can admit that to them. I, I don't know how this is supposed to go. You tell me how it should go. How do you think it should go? And inviting them into that. I love that. And I feel like you have great self-awareness and um, transparency with them that sets a very kind of level playing field. I'm trying. I think I'm being very intentional that they see and hear me explain myself to them because that's what I want them to be able to do. And um, I want them to understand how I operate because I think right now, I'm doing okay. Life has turned out okay. So if they learn anything from me, it's that you can make mistakes. You can have an opinion, but you need to, you know, be kind. You need to be curious. You need to have balance. You need to have integrity. That's another value. So 
I hope that they can take a little bit of what I think has helped me be successful, that they can apply it in their own way. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to move to our fun questions now. And I can't wait. (laughs) So Casey, what is your karaoke song? I would say my karaoke song is Nothing But a G Thing by um, oh, yes. Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. <laughs> I would say like I could sing that backwards, forwards, and sideways. That's I is t- the label that pays me. Well, it's funny. Ben <laughs> just had a, yes, yes, it is. Um, uh, ben just had a pop-up hip-hop appreciation event last Wednesday because last Wednesday was um, Hip Hop Celebration Day. So I did not know that. That's great. We curated a playlist and everything and nothing but a G thing was on it. Such a good one. <laughs> what is your favorite way to practice self-care? I love getting massages and Ooh. I play a ton of tennis. I have a group of women that I play tennis with and there's something about being on a court. We're all pretty healthy competitors. Our game level is pretty equitable. Something playing on a beautiful spring or summer or fall day with friends. Oftentimes we'll have some wine afterwards. We were just commenting. One of the friends I played on Saturday, her son is going off to college. So she was very tearful. And we realized that on the tennis court, we've experienced divorce. We've experienced high school graduations. We've experienced transitions to college. We've experienced the death of a parent. And I've similarly in high school and in college, I had my daughter's godmother was a high school basketball friend. So sports and the camaraderie that comes with sports is a way that's how I practice self-care. And I spend a lot of time playing sports, so I don't feel bad about it because it's not just about the sport. It's about the friendships and the relationships and the physical movement and all of that, that I want to also role model for my kids. I love it. And it does sound like there's that, that student athlete never left you. (laughs) Absolutely not. No. (laughs) And you felt a community and that, that is really important, really important. Who is a celebrity you would like to have dinner with? I would say Michelle Obama or Oprah Winfrey. I think those two women seem to have fun. Yeah. Um, it seems like they can enjoy the, the highest, finer things in life. And also you could see them, you know, at the soul food restaurant down the street. And so they seem, again, like they role model kindness, integrity, balance. They're energetic. They clearly can multitask and can perform at a very high level and they seem to like to have fun. And so I would love to pick their brains or share a meal with them. And they have tremendous wisdom. I feel like when I read Michelle Obama's book, I was like furiously jotting parenting notes. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. What's a book you'd recommend to the audience? Well, Ben has a book club. I would say the book that just immediately comes to mind is cast. Um, that book was incredible. Yeah. And so I found that book very hard to get through because of the history I was not aware of. And as an intersectional woman, I'm half black, half Mexican American. It was hard to read what people do to other people that is not embody integrity, kindness, or fun or any of my values. So it's hard to read through that. Um, And it's also hard, I think, to really have the continuing aftermath of slavery and all of that, have it be spelt out just how institutionalized it is. And where, because I think I was raised on sports, I've always felt like things are equitable and there's a meritocracy and I have a graduate degree and I've had good jobs, but 
if, if I think about where I could be as a white man with my education and my background, or even as a white woman with my education and my background, it gives me pause. And I think that book just spells out very clearly what history for Black Americans looks like when it's told by a Black person that's done their research. I think that's a foundational book that people should read. I completely agree. It's incredibly provocative and also calling attention to the things that have been swept under the rug. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. This is the hardest one, promise. So this is a fairy god boss tradition. What we see is that women are not as good at bragging or taking credit for our achievements. And so I'm going to put you on the spot, Casey, and I'm going to ask you to role model for us. Please brag for us. Take credit for your achievements. Okay. So I would say the thing that I am proudest of personally and professionally is the establishment of Ben, the Black Employee Network. And the way it started was after George Floyd's murder with my two kids here in quarantine, just recently divorced, realizing and having been mixed race and struggled with identity. I'm also almost six feet tall. So I'm a brown skinned, very tall woman who's always felt odd in my skin. And so something about George Floyd's murder and all of the protests really just cracked something open in me. And so it was violent everywhere on the heels of George Floyd's murder. And so I did not want to go have my kids out and protest where it was very visible. So I wanted to know what I could do. And I um, also realized that, again, with all due respect, there were a lot of decisions being made and discussions being made about underrepresented groups in the workplace that I thought were largely being done by white people that, Mm -hmm. again, didn't have my experience. And so I raised my hand. I was the only person of color on my team at the time. And a woman that I asked to be my mentor, I asked her, I said, I want to be involved in some of these conversations where I don't think people of color are involved. And she said, okay, well, what do you want to do? And she said, would you be interested in starting an employee resource group? And I said, absolutely, but I'm going to need some people to help me. So she put the ask to me. I reached out to two people. And from there, Ben had a awesome, amazing year that far exceeded anything that we could have expected. And to think that those initial conversations where I felt so uncomfortable has resulted in now in short of a year, five employee networking groups starting. And I'm working with some of the smartest black people. It's surprisingly different in a very stark way to see nothing but brown faces on a call, looking back at me on a screen. I can't even imagine what it would be like in a conference room. I did not go to an all-Black, a historically Black college, so I'd never had that. I've predominantly been in rooms with white men as decision makers. And so I'm proudest to have been involved in the start of what's become, I think, a cultural movement at Robert Half, and that has created a space where people feel like they now have opportunities that they didn't have before and that they can communicate with people where they felt isolated. There's now a community of people, intersectional and self-identifying, that I just think is amazing. And I'm proud of that. And that is something I will brag about for sure. I love it. That's amazing. And I'm glad it's such a recent accomplishment as well. It sounds really exciting. And your face lights up when you talk about it. And I think the other thing that's amazing is it's your achievement, but obviously you've had a lot of impact on other people as well. 
Yeah, we are trying to quantify, if possible, that impact because we're having people say, I stayed at Robert Half because Ben exists. And we have these conversations on Fridays that are like group therapy, but the community that's come together, I've never seen anything like it. And so it does have a far-reaching impact and it's been phenomenal. So the point we talked about earlier, I would not have done this kind of work or been able to carry this kind of project forward without the mistakes, quote unquote, that I made before, or without those leaders that at the time made me really question myself, my abilities, I would not be able to play in this way, in this role with this work, if it hadn't have been for the good managers that I had and the managers that at the time made my life miserable. Right. We all need a little of both. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's the balance. That's my one of the values. You have to have it balanced. That's right. All right, Casey, it's been incredible spending time with you. And I actually, my takeaway, I'm going to go, I don't think I've defined my own personal or family values in the way that you have. And I really want to go spend some time doing that. But I love your self-awareness. I love your courage uh, and your resilience. It's been incredible hearing your stories and hearing from you. So I'm going to turn the floor back to you and ask if there was just one last piece of advice you want to give our audience, what would it be? What you just said is your takeaway. I have also been struck by how clarifying my five values, knowing what those are. And that is the thing that has been, that's my rubric. If things make sense to me going through my values, if I'm not showing up with integrity, you can say something difficult to somebody and it will sit with them if you have integrity and you are kind about it. Those values open up doors. They become part of how I want to be experienced. And it also becomes a litmus test that I can then ask my friends, do you see me showing up like this in good times and in bad? And if they say in good times and in bad, I can live with not everybody liking me or not making or making an unfavorable decision because it's authentic and it's part of, it's been through my values. So I would say to do some sort of exercise where you jot down any and all values that seem like they resonate. And then over a bottle of wine or a lovely sparkling non-alcoholic drink, have a friend or two go through that list with you and almost like justify, how do I show up this way? And then you'll land on almost like a billboard that says, if you are coming into Caseyville, you should know you are going to operate best if you know these five things are kind of the rules of engagement. And my friends that have done it, similarly, it's kind of opened up a floodgate of self-awareness because then you can say, why am I being so weird? Oh, it's because this person isn't coming at me with kindness or I don't see them having integrity or I'm overextending into too much work. I need to go balance it with a walk in the dog. It's part of how you live your life and people start to see you show up that way. And it actually allows you to be a little unpredictable because integrity can look any kind of way. It doesn't have to look one way, but again, it's um, authentic because it's going through my values. So I find that to be very liberating. I would hope that your audience does the exercise and see what that unlocks for them. Casey, it has been incredible spending time with you. Thank you. I love your energy and positivity. Uh, This was a joy. Thank you. I loved it. Thank you. Thanks for spending time. (laughs) Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.